This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. Yanks trying to avoid the sweep at Tampa Bay. Sean Armstrong is on the mound for Tampa against Frankie Montas, who has been uh, less than stellar for the Yankees since they acquired him at the trade deadline from the Oakland A's. Let's get to today's New York Yankees injury report. It's brought to you by Total Orthopedic Spine and Sports Medicine. This is part of the problem as well. Okay, There's a number of things at work. We've spoken about some of Brian Cashman's questionable moves. We've spoken about a lot of the underperformance of the guys in the lineup. Well, there's also a lot of guys that are out of the lineup right now. I mean, these are all key players. Jamison Tyone has a forearm injury. Um, He is expected to make his next scheduled start. They're without Anthony Rizzo right now, who's still got this back injury that doesn't look like it's going to be fully resolved before the end of the season. He received an epidural on Friday and will be unavailable until at least Tuesday. That's according to ESPN's Marley Rivera. We know about the Aroldis Chapman fiasco. He did throw on Friday for the first time since he landed on the injured list with an infection due to a tattoo. Luis Severino, who, if you ask him, could probably be pitching right now. He's still on that 60-day IL, uneligible to come off for a couple more weeks, but he threw two scoreless innings in a rehab appearance with single-A Tampa on Friday, allowed one hit, no walks, and struck out three batters. Nestor Cortez is on the 15-day IL. He threw live batting practice yesterday, according to Brendan Cuddy of the Newark Star-Ledger. Andrew Benatendi has now been added to the injured list with right wrist inflammation. Uh, according to Lindsay Adler of The Athletic, and Miguel Castro remains on the 60-day IL. So those are all key players on this Yankees, what should be 26-man roster, that are unavailable right now. I mean, you look at the lineup and how the only guy in there you have confidence in right now is Judge. I'll give a half a pass to Stanton, although it would be nice if he can start to turn it around sooner rather than later, coming off of his stint on the injured list. But after Judge... Your best guys are who? Ben Attendee, he's out right now. Rizzo, he's out right now. You know, LeMahieu's not 100%, and he's playing through a toe injury right now. So there's a lot of attrition in that lineup right now, and it's all kind of coalescing at the worst possible time. So that is the Yankees injury report brought to you by Total Orthopedic Spine and Sports Medicine. Total Ortho Express is Long Island's premier orthopedic immediate care where no appointment is needed. After all, time doesn't heal wounds. They do. All right, let's go back to the phones, 1-800-919-3776, and welcome in Raj in White Plains. Raj, good morning. Hey, good morning, Pat. Love the show. How you doing? Thank you, Raj. Good, thanks. Just a couple of things. Just want to just preface this by saying I'm a lifelong Yankees fan, live and breathe by them. I want them to lose. I want them to lose in epic fashion um, in order to make changes. I don't know what they got to do, lose tremendously, Get some new equations, have, fire your math department, whatever, whatever. And one more point before I, let, before I leave, new management, how no fire in the belly like the father. Thank you very much. Thanks for the call, Raj. I would agree with that. I mean, I don't think anybody has fire in the belly like the old man did. We've heard that from a lot of Yankee fans. Don and Peter on the K Show a couple weeks ago had this fun segment. If you're a Yankee fan, would you choose option one? straightening things out and making a run in the playoffs or option two losing and losing disastrously so that changes could be made. I mean, it's been years that Yankee fan after Yankee fan has called this station and wanted Brian Cashman gone and wanted Aaron Boone gone. 
And obviously, those changes have not been made. Brian Cashman has been here for 24 years just as the general manager, let alone his time as the assistant general manager. Um, in my mind, it probably takes something spectacular to implement those changes. Well, what would be something spectacular? This. This would be something spectacular. If the Yankees blow a 15-and-a-half game lead in the middle of the season when they were on their way to perhaps winning more regular season games than any team in history, and to go from that in the same season to not even winning your division and then bowing out early in the playoffs, that might be what it takes to implement the changes that many, many Yankee fans want to see. Boone just signed a new contract. He's got a three-year contract, two after this. And we know about Cashman's uh, situation. He seems to be as secure as any general manager in baseball. I don't largely disagree with a lot of what Cashman has done over the years. I think there is something to be said to have your team in position to compete every year, to go to the playoffs every year, to be relevant every single year. But like I said last hour, at some point, the expectations for this franchise, and not all franchises are created equal, but at some point, the expectations for this franchise have to be greater than that. They have to be greater than just getting to the playoffs every single year. At some point, the expectation for this Yankees team has to be to go to the World Series. Because you know what they're on the verge of right now? They're on the verge of being lapped by the Mets since the last time the Yankees went to the World Series. Think about that. The Yankees went to the World Series and won in 2009. And they haven't been back since. Since then, the Mets have gone in 2015. The Mets somewhat bottomed out. Now they're back and in a much better position than the Yankees are to return to the World Series. Mets, meanwhile, their lineup is out. Uh, today, the uh, Washington Nationals at City Field with Carlos Carrasco back off the injured list and making the start. Brandon Nimmo in center, Starling Marte in right, Lindor at short, Alonzo cleans up at first, Daniel Vogelback is your DH batting fifth, Jeff McNeil in his 317 batting average batting sixth, Mark Hanna in left field batting seventh, followed by Eduardo Escobar at third, and Tomas Nito behind the plate for Carlos Carrasco and the Mets against Washington, a 140 first pitch at City Field. So think about that. The, <laughs> it's hard not to do the side-by-side -side comparison. This is the good and the bad about having two teams in this town in pretty much every sport. We just did the Yankees lineup. The Yankees' number three hitter is a rookie who's been in the league for three weeks and is batting 2-11. He's your number three batter today in a game that you really have to win because if you don't, you're only two games up. The Mets, who, yes, it's just an, as important a game for the Mets because their lead is down to two, but the Mets have Jeff McNeil, a 3-17 hitter, batting sixth in their lineup today. Just shows you the difference of where the two teams are right now. All right, so you got the Mets against Washington and the Yankees in Tampa, both of them a little after 1.30 this afternoon. Larry Hardesty, by the way, follows me here at uh, noon. So we got to to the top of the hour. I uh, want to transition now to the big NBA news of the week, and that, of course, was the Knicks not getting Donovan Mitchell as the Cleveland Cavaliers kind of swooped in. They were on the periphery of the trade talks the entire time, seemed to fall off of the radar, and then at the last moment came in, the Woj bomb drops, and next thing you know, Donovan Mitchell is a member of the Cleveland Cavaliers, and he's not heading to New York.
I, for one, was on the record for weeks thinking that Mitchell would be a Nick by opening day. I wasn't 100% sure of that. Obviously, you're never 100% sure. What I was more confident of was that he wouldn't be a member of the Utah Jazz. Once Utah made the deal getting rid of Rudy Gobert, they made it clear that they're in rebuilding mode right now. So there was no reason for them to have Donovan Mitchell on their roster. From the Knicks' perspective, the Mitchell thing did make the most sense for the Knicks. The Knicks had the assets. He's a New York guy. He would have improved the team. You know he wants to come to New York. You know Utah wants to move on from Mitchell and continue this rebuild. So from that perspective, it all made sense. And then it was basically a long, drawn-out negotiation between the two sides, between Danny Ainge and Leon Rose. And in the end, Rose would not come all the way to what Danny Ainge wanted. Ainge pivoted and got a pretty good package from Cleveland. And by the way, Cleveland now with Donovan Mitchell and their young core looks really intriguing in the Eastern Conference. But let's take this from the Knicks' perspective. Did I... Did I want the Knicks to get Mitchell? If, if my options are yes and no, the answer is yes. Did I think they absolutely needed to have Donovan Mitchell or they were going to set themselves up for just another lost season? No, I did not think that was the case. I think that the moves that the Knicks have made in the offseason, namely Jalen Brunson, uh, bringing in Isaiah Hartenstein, now re-signing R.J. Barrett, re-signing Mitchell Robinson. And the key to all of this is Derrick Rose's health. He is a huge key. Derrick Rose's health is probably a bigger key than you would like it to be. But those are the facts. Derrick Rose two years ago was traded from Detroit to the Knicks on Super Bowl Sunday. And it instantly took them from a team that was having a surprising and spunky season to one that ultimately was one of the top four regular season teams in the Eastern Conference. That's what Derrick Rose did two years ago. Last year, it is no coincidence that at the beginning of the season, when Rose was playing and he was coming off the bench and leading that bench unit, the Knicks started 4-1. and one. They got out of the gates pretty quickly. Their bench unit was one of the highest scoring units in the NBA. And then right before Christmas, Rose went down with an injury. We never saw him again. And then all of a sudden, the rest of the season, the Knicks bench unit was one of the lowest scoring bench units in the NBA. So the keys to this season, when you want to look at improvement from the Knicks to get back to closer to where they were in 2021 as opposed to last season, are number one, the addition of Jalen Brunson. Number two, another year of R.J. Barrett. Now year number four, he got what he wanted. He signs his rookie extension. He's one of the pillars of the franchise. He's one of the building blocks of the franchise. And it's the first time in a long time that's happened. And it's the first time in a long time that you really feel good about the guy who you're going forward with. And to be honest, number three for me is Derek Rose. Now, Rose is such a huge key to this team. Now, Rose's injury history is obviously very checkered. He's also at the tail end of his career. He's older. This, in my opinion, is the last time that you could put so many eggs in the Derrick Rose basket. But if you could get one more season out of Derrick Rose, 
similar to the one that he gave you two years ago, then that could take this team from being outside of the play-in tournament to being a middle-of-the-pack team in the Eastern Conference. Now, the Knicks fans, and more importantly, the cynical fans who love to jump all over the Knicks are going to call me and say, oh, well, congratulations. You're going to go to the middle of the pack in the Eastern Conference. I've said this over and over and over and over again. Becoming an NBA contending team is a process. You don't go from out of the play-in tournament to a championship contender. Unless you're the Los Angeles Lakers and you sign LeBron James. That's really the only scenario in recent memory that I can remember. I can actually remember three scenarios in recent memory in which a team went from out of the playoffs to a championship contender. The most recent is the Lakers when they had LeBron James, missed the playoffs, and then traded for Anthony Davis. That's number one, okay? Number two is the Cleveland Cavaliers who were not a playoff team And then LeBron James came over as a free agent and returned to Cleveland for the second time. And the third example is the Miami Heat, the decision in 2010. So basically, the scenario that fans think is just so easy, go from a non-playoff team to a championship contender, in the last 12 years, the only time that has happened in the NBA involved LeBron James. LeBron James is not coming to New York. He's a member of the Los Angeles Lakers. So the argument that, well, if this doesn't make you a championship team, then you shouldn't do the move. I completely disagree with that. I think you always want to be looking at getting your team better. And the Knicks have players on their team, and the Knicks have pieces on their team. And Donovan Mitchell in New York would have gotten them better. Now, the important thing to remember is that even without Donovan Mitchell, what do the Knicks still have? They still have a roster that I think was on its way to getting better. And they still have all of those assets that Leon Rose did not want to part with to bring Donovan Mitchell to New York. Mitchell is a probably a top 20 NBA player. He's a really good offensive player. He can get you 25 points a game. He has performed very well offensively in the postseason. But he is a flawed player. He's below average defensively. And other than a trip to the second round of the playoffs, has never gone deep into the postseason. I would have loved to have seen what Mitchell would look like on this Knicks team with Brunson and more importantly with Julius Randle because I think Mitchell's presence in New York could have taken a lot of pressure off of Julius Randle. I'm hoping for the Knicks' perspective that Jalen Brunson's presence does some of that, but Mitchell being in New York would have done more of that. And I think you could have gotten a lot more out of Julius Randle. So that's my biggest disappointment, why the Mitchell trade to New York did not happen. Uh, Let's get some reaction on this. Um, Adrian Wojnarowski, who broke the trade, ESPN's NBA reporter, on Greeny here on ESPN Radio, spoke about what Mitchell would have meant to the Knicks. Donovan Mitchell would have been a franchise player for them, would have been uh, a centerpiece, and and that's the kind of player you need to start then attracting other players in two years when they might have cap space. uh, You know, those are all the things you want to get into place, but uh, they do have a lot of picks. They have assets. 
but they've got to find a player of that caliber available again, and, and that doesn't come along very often. Doesn't come along very often, but there are players of that caliber who are even better than Donovan Mitchell. You don't know if and when they're going to become available. And look at the Knicks' recent history. Outside of Carmelo Anthony in 2011, the Knicks don't usually attract players of that caliber. Maybe attract is a different word. Let me just say this. The facts are, since Carmelo Anthony came to New York 11 years ago, the Knicks have not been able to acquire a player of that caliber to come to New York. That is a fact. Mitchell would have been the best player, the most established NBA player, and he's still 25 years old, right in the prime of his career, would have been the best one to come to New York since Carmelo Anthony. Did Melo make the Knicks a championship team? No. Did he make the Knicks a better team? Yes. And that's what you have to continue to keep your eye on. You want your team to keep getting better. And I'll give you a perfect example of a team that has done that and is now in position to make some noise in the Eastern Conference, unfortunately, at the expense of, among other teams, the New York Knicks. That and your calls, 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. Our last Sunday morning without NFL football. College football back in full swing yesterday. A lot of interesting matchups. A lot of powerhouse matchups. Ohio State beating Notre Dame 21-10. to um, Georgia-Oregon, two top 11 teams, was supposed to be a powerhouse matchup. 49-3 to later, the Bulldogs uh, showed just how far the SEC is ahead of the rest of the country. Uh, Alabama rolled as well. You got a good game tonight. You have LSU and uh, Florida State as the opening, the full opening weekend for college football continues. And then, of course, the NFL is just days away. You can join us in celebrating the return of football with Barton Hahn live from Margaritaville in Times Square on Thursday, September 8th, as a new NFL season kicks off. They're live from noon to three with giveaways for guests in attendance and special appearances from Hall of Famer Dan Marino, ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter, and Jets great Nick Mangold. It's brought to you by DraftKings, Slomans, Dos Hombres, and Margaritaville Resort, Times Square. Head to Margaritaville this football season and enjoy $20 beer buckets and $6 margaritas plus $3 off any appetizer during NFL. NFL or college games. All right, the number 1-800-919-3776. Just a quick note on the NFL. Uh, we'll get back to the Knicks and the Donovan Mitchell conversation in a moment. That opening game, a good one on uh, Thursday night. The Bills and the Rams, uh, nationally televised on MB NBC from SoFi Stadium in L.A. And then, of course, next Sunday you have the Jets there in the 1 o'clock time slot against the Ravens. 98-7 ESPN New York is your home for New York Jets football all season long, every season. And then the Giants in Tennessee to take on the Titans. I think that's an opportunity for the Giants. I really do. Um, it's been a pretty stable training camp for the Giants. You know, you don't like the Kayvon Thibodeau injury. You've heard really good things about Saquon Barkley. I do think that there's an opportunity for him to pop and have his best season since his rookie season. I don't know that he'll ever be the player that we saw him as a rookie. That was uh, the that was uh, that year. That guy had the potential to be one of the great all-time running backs. And unfortunately, I just think that the injuries have taken a tear, uh, a wear and tear on him, a toll on him. That being said. You got Saquon in the last year of his contract. He wants another contract. He wants to prove that 
he can be a big money running back either for the Giants or at this point in his career, I would imagine that Saquon just wants to prove he could be that guy for anyone. So it's kind of an element of leave it all out there for him this season. Giants should take advantage of that because if you look at their offensive weapons, he's clearly, if healthy and if right, their most significant offensive weapon. You know, Daniel Jones has had a Daniel Jones camp. There's some good and there's some bad. And I've said for years now, I'm one of the last Daniel Jones supporters. My support is starting to wane. Uh, I do think that it's unlikely that he's the Giants' starting quarterback beyond this season. But as far as week one goes, the Giants in Tennessee, I look at the Titans as a team in transition. Uh, they were the number one seed in the AFC last year. That was a lot that had to do with circumstance. They were in a very weak division, which they took advantage of the bad teams in their division. They had arguably the two worst teams in the NFL in their division, in the Houston Texans and the Jacksonville Jaguars. So that's four wins right there. The Colts were not world beaters last season, so they used that soft part of their schedule to help spur them to the best record, the number one seed in the AFC playoffs, and a very disappointing playoff exit for the Tennessee Titans against Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. And you, you kind of saw what Tennessee is lacking in that game. They don't have a quarterback. You know, Ryan Tannehill, I think, helped get this team as far as he could. And, you know, they went to an AFC championship game where they lost to the Kansas City Chiefs. They were the number one seed in the AFC last season. But that was basically on the back of their outstanding running back, Derrick Henry. Henry missed a lot of time last season. The shelf life for running backs indicates that he's probably going to have a hard time playing at that level for much longer. And then you add into the fact that they do not have an above-average quarterback. I think Mike Vrabel's an excellent head coach. But we'll see what the Tennessee Titans are. But if you look at the early part of the Giants' schedule, I don't look at this game and think that the Giants have no shot. I'll be honest. We've talked about the early part of the schedule for both New York teams. The Giants' schedule starts in Tennessee, and then you host the Panthers. Next Sunday, the 18th at 1 p.m., at MetLife Stadium, their home opener. That'll probably be a Baker Mayfield production. And that's also one of those interesting games where both teams are looking at the other and thinking, well, this is a soft spot in our schedule. We have to win this game. But if the Giants can show you anything and maybe pick off the Titans opening week, there's always one or two of those early season games where there's a team that you don't think much of and is not even on your radar and you haven't given a lot of thought to where they just kind of went and took care of their business in the preseason and went along their way, and then the season begins and they can pick off one of these teams that you're just used to penciling in as one of the top teams. I don't think the Titans are one of the top teams in the AFC anymore, and I do like most of what I've seen from the Giants in the preseason. The Jets' situation is different, unfortunately, and it's because of the schedule. And I know like people call and they say, well, you know, you can't just go win-loss, win-loss with the schedule. The Jets' early season schedule, now, I'll be, I'll be honest, it, it looks better than it did when it came out. When it came out and you see Ravens, you see at Browns, you see Bengals, you see at Steelers. Well, now that we're a week out, now you can look at the quarterback situations of those four teams. All right? The Ravens, yeah, they have Lamar Jackson back in week one. And the Ravens are just always, they're not one of those teams that I think you're going to sneak up on. They're always prepared. They're always focused. They're always ready to go. 
So that's unfortunate from that standpoint that the Jets open up against them. The Browns are a team that has a lot of talent all over the football field. They're in Cleveland week two. The Browns' biggest weakness is obviously a quarterback with Jacoby Brissett. When the schedule came out, Ravens, Browns, you, you thought at the time there would still be a chance that you could see Deshaun Watson in that game, which obviously you're not, so that changes the equation completely. Bengals week three, Joe Burrow. We know what happened when the Bengals came to MetLife Stadium last year. It was the best game of the season. It was the uh, Mike White game for the Jets. And then week four with the Steelers. Are you afraid of Mitchell Trubisky? Are you afraid of the rookie Kenny Pickett? It'll be one of those two guys taking snaps from Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Week five, the Dolphins, Tua Tungavailoa. Not terribly afraid of him, although there's potential on that roster. And then it gets tougher. Then you go to Green Bay. Then you go to... Denver, and then you have the Patriots. And let's let's be honest about the Patriots. Let's say this about New England. New England's not very good, all right? If the New England Patriots, with that talent, went by any other name in the NFL, let's take that roster and call them the Indianapolis Colts. I think we would project them as maybe a six or seven win team, but because they're the Patriots and they have two decades worth of dominance, and they have the greatest coach of all time in Bill Belichick, I think you still look at them as a threat. And who knows? He is the greatest coach of all time. So by October 30th, when the Jets host the Pats at MetLife Stadium, will they be 5-2? and two? They might be, because he's a great coach. And the infrastructure of that franchise is beyond solid. So that's the beginning of the NFL season, but it's fun. It's a few days away. I'm excited about the Bills-Rams showdown on Thursday night. The Bills are favored in that game. Uh, a lot of people like the Bills as the Super Bowl favorite. The Rams, I think there's some potential for a one-and-done as the Super Bowl champion. First of all, it's very difficult to repeat. We know that. But, you know, it was an interesting offseason for the Rams. They win the Super Bowl, which I don't think they would have done without Odell Beckham Jr., even though he lost... He, he, got injured in that game. He's obviously not part of the team right now, recovering from his injury. But Matthew Stafford, crowning achievement of his career. Aaron Donald, crowning achievement of his career, flirted with retirement. Sean McVay, flirted with moving to the TV broadcast booth. So there's some red flags there for the defending champs. You wonder how much the focus is on football right now. And it's very difficult in any sport, but especially in as taxing and demanding a sport as football. It's very difficult to put all the necessary work in to get on top and then to continue working at that same level to stay on top. Just ask the Kansas City Chiefs, which brings me to the Kansas City Chiefs and my team to watch this season. Because as Aaron Rodgers is winding down his career, as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, I think one of the narratives of Rodgers' career, unless they win another championship, and I don't see that happening, I think one of the narratives of Aaron Rodgers' career is going to be the disappointment that he only won one Super Bowl. I mean, this guy for a decade has been the best quarterback in the NFL, and now he's winning MVP after MVP at this late stage in his career. And as we approach the end of that career, you're going to look back on it and see that he only won one Super Bowl. And I think that's a disappointment. Overall, the career 
is and will be considered great, but that's going to be a big disappointment that hangs over the head of Aaron Rodgers' legacy. Patrick Mahomes does not want to end up in that situation. Mahomes' last four years, they lose the AFC Championship game to New England, and then they win the Super Bowl over San Francisco, and then they couldn't protect Mahomes in the Super Bowl against Tampa Bay, and they lost that one. And then last year, Mahomes' worst moment as a pro, losing that game, that AFC Championship game to Cincinnati. Right before halftime, it looked like they were going to go up by 18 points. They mismanaged the clock. Cincinnati takes advantage, storms back in the second half, and the next thing you know, the Chiefs let a golden, golden opportunity slip by, opportunities that do not come around that often. So Mahomes and the Chiefs need to look at Aaron Rodgers and the great disappointment that hangs over his brilliant career, and they have time to ensure that that doesn't happen to him. And I think they will. I think Mahomes is... Obviously on notice now, um, the rest of the league should be on notice, angry about what happened at the end of last season, and I still think they have the talent in a very difficult division uh, to regain their spot atop the sport. So it's all here. The NFL season starts on Thursday, uh, starts on Sunday for the Jets right here on 98.7 ESPN New York and for the Giants later that afternoon. Your calls on this, 1-800-919-3776, and more thoughts on the NBA offseason as we continue on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. Pat O'Keefe back with you, 98.7 ESPN New York. About 20 minutes or so, then we'll hand the uh, reins over to Larry Hardesty. Comes your way at noon. Yanks and Mets both playing in the afternoon today. It is Labor Day weekend. Uh, Both teams will have matinees tomorrow as well. Yanks will be home tomorrow to take on the Twins at the stadium. Yankees today trying to avoid a three-game sweep at Tampa Bay. You know, there's just numbers upon numbers upon numbers about how inept this team has been. Their last 23 games, the Yankees are 8-15, and 15, and that, by the way, includes a five-game winning streak. Over their last 23 games, 8-15, and 15, they have averaged 2.8 runs per game. The team is batting 196, a 269 on base percentage, and a slugging percentage of 300. This courtesy of Troy Benjamin, who does a great job producing the uh, Yes Network television broadcasts. It is the Yankees' lowest runs per game and batting average in a 23-game span since 1968. Now, 1968 is significant because it is known as the year of the pitcher. In fact, 1968, the pitching was so dominant, Bob Gibson in the National League and Denny McLean, who won 30 games in the American League, The pitching was so dominant that at the end of the season, they lowered the height of the mound to give the hitters a better chance. So the Yankees' offense just went through their worst 23-game stretch in terms of batting average and runs per game since the year of the pitcher. We'll see if they could try to start getting things straightened out this afternoon as they look to avoid the sweep against Tampa Bay. And again, if the Yankees lose today, their lead in the loss column over the Rays is down to two games. I want to share some more thoughts on the Knicks. I had mentioned this earlier this hour. Um, the argument for just continuing to improve your team, and you would think it would be common sense. Why wouldn't you want to improve your team? Well, in this era of tanking and bottoming out and acquiring assets 
and draft picks and giving yourself a chance to win the NBA draft lottery, it's not that clear cut. The Knicks right now, and I had positioned myself as I examined this Knicks offseason and the possibility of will they or won't they get Donovan Mitchell. Like I said before, I wanted them to get Donovan Mitchell, but I was in a position where I also recognize now that they don't have Donovan Mitchell, they're still better off than they were last season. The product on the court is better with the addition of Jalen Brunson. Derrick Rose is a huge key for that. Another year for R.J. Barrett. And I do think that Julius Randle will be better with another major ball handler on the team, that being Jalen Brunson. In addition to that, the Knicks are still positioned with all of these resources, draft picks, um, and that capital that they could use going forward to swing a trade for the next quote-unquote superstar who becomes available because mark my words it always happens there will be someone of that ilk who becomes available you want your team in position to strike when that time comes the Brooklyn Nets did a great job of that in 2019 the 2019 offseason a very bitter and disappointing one for Knicks fans because they thought they were going to get Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and for a time, there was a thought that if the Knicks won the draft lottery, they would get Zion Williamson as well. The 2019 offseason was disappointing because they didn't end up with any of them, and then on top of that, Durant and Irving ended up with the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets were 42-40 and 40 the year before that. The Knicks had won 17 games. They were 17-65, and 65. so if you're looking at it from Durant and Irving's perspective, why wouldn't you want to come to the team that's already a playoff team? And that's exactly what happened. This trade, the Donovan Mitchell trade, let's talk for a moment about the team that he did go to. And by the way, shout out to Kobe Altman, New York City guy from Brooklyn, went to New Utrecht High School, is the general manager of the Cleveland Cavaliers. This guy has done a great job building the Cavs back up to where they're one of the top six teams in the Eastern Conference. I mean, think about that. The Cavs this century have not been good without LeBron James until last year and until now. And now they're really good with an all-star in Darius Garland, an all-star in Jared Allen, an all-star in Donovan Mitchell, and a potential future all-star in Evan Mobley. That's a really strong four-man core of all players 25 years old or younger. So they had to make this trade. And the model, if you're watching the Knicks and wondering what's their next move. The model is the Cleveland model, okay? LeBron left. They fell to the depths of the NBA again, like they did the first time that LeBron James left back in 2010, but they slowly built themselves back up with Darius Garland, with Colin Sexton, and then they hopped in the James Harden trade and were able to bring in Jared Allen, and then they got lucky in the NBA draft and Mobley was available for them with the number three pick, and they pounced on him and they drafted him, and next thing you know, the Cavs last year are a team that's in the play-in tournament. So what can Donovan Mitchell do for that team? Well, he can raise them from a team that's in the play-in tournament to one that has the potential to be a top-four team in the Eastern Conference. And once you're on that level, then all bets are off. Then you're an injury away, you're a lucky bounce away, you've at least put yourself in the quote-unquote arena to be able to take that next stop step to championship contender. But you can't take that step by skipping the three previous steps. And that is the position that the Knicks are in right now. The Knicks would have taken an additional step if they were able to bring in Donovan Mitchell. 
but they also would have taken a half a step back by having to unload a lot of the assets. Danny Ainge was asking for a lot, including reportedly R.J. Barrett. And while I wanted Mitchell this entire time and thought he would have made the Knicks a better team, I never for a second wanted Donovan Mitchell at the expense of R.J. Barrett. 1-800-919-3776, reaction to this, and we'll look ahead to the day on the baseball diamond as we continue on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. Double barrel baseball action in New York coming your way a little after 1.30 with the Yanks at Tampa Bay, the Mets hosting the Nats at City Field. Both teams looking to bounce back from losses last night. The Mets' lead in the NL East is two over the Atlanta Braves, and the Yankees' lead... And the loss column in the AL East would be two if they don't beat Tampa Bay this afternoon. Let's get a couple quick phone calls in, Anthony and Bayside. Anthony, what's going on? Yeah, you know, I appreciate you taking the call. Um, I'm just a little confused here. So, you, you, you know, you, you were saying the Knicks are set up pretty well for the next few years and the model's Cleveland. But I just remember as a Knicks fan a couple of years ago when they hired Worldwide West and Leon Rose, we were promised the connections that these guys had with the superstar players, and they're all going to come to New York, and they're going to be flocking to the Garden. And it just hasn't happened. No, it we hasn't. Grossly overpaid. We grossly overpaid for Jalen Brunson. We were pretty much bidding against ourselves. We got. Well, hold on. Let, let, let me, uh, and I'll let you. I'll, I'll let. Hold on. I'll let you get to your next point. Let me respond to the Brunson. You had to overpay for Brunson. Brunson was the second best player on a team that went to the Western Conference Finals and is playing with one of the top five players in the NBA. So if you really wanted that guy to improve your team, which he did, you had to overpay for him. Yeah, but if you want – isn't it a little telling that the Mavs didn't even – I mean, they kind of gave him away for a second-best player. They gave him away. I mean, we were bidding against ourselves. We had to pay $100 million to a guy who, like you just said – was the I mean second best might be a little strong. I think he was third behind who for a guy who who where, where are the superstars is what I'm trying to say. Why aren't the superstars coming to New York? I mean I'm getting a little upset now. Why aren't the superstars coming to the Garden? That's what we were promised. We weren't promised Jalen Brunson, a washed up Kemba Walker, and Evan Fournier. We were promised superstars. No superstars are coming to the Garden. I mean let's just call it a, 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 a can of paint a can of paint. None of these guys are coming here. And we keep getting promises, and we keep saying, these draft picks are meaningless. Meaningless. Number 15, the Knicks are always going to be in that 8, 9, 10, 7 range. 7 to 10. So those draft picks are going to be what? The number 14 pick, the number 18 pick? You don't get good guys at that, at that range in the, in the draft. I mean, let's, let's, let's call it like, like, like it is. There's no, there's no rosy outlook here. The Knicks are stuck in a conundrum of mid to end Eastern Conference teams. That's what Andy, they are. let me let me just let me just jump is. in here. Let me jump in here. You can't in twenty years, you've gotten one superstar to come to New York. You can't pin all of that on Leon Rose. The but the you the can't groundwork pin all of it. the groundwork was laid to make it extremely difficult for the Knicks to become attractive to that type of player. Yeah, but, but then why are you telling us when you hire these guys, the hire is for the relationships that they have with the upper echelon agents and talent in the NBA? Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving had every opportunity to come to the Garden. 
they passed. And I, and I agree with your point when you said they were looking at a team that was a lot in a better position to make a run in the Eastern Conference. But they passed on the Knicks. You put KD and Kyrie on any team in the NBA, they're going to instantly become, uh, I, wouldn't say M- I wouldn't say finals contenders, but they're instantly going to become in the top five seeds of that conference. And that's what happened in Brooklyn, Anthony. And thanks for the call. That's what happened in Brooklyn. Let me just say this, though. Kyrie and, and KD went to Brooklyn before Leon Rose got the job. Leon Rose took over, so that has nothing to do with Rose. we got time for one quick call. Let's go to James in Brooklyn. James, how you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. Make it quick, James. Time for uh, talent development. I think it's something that we're underestimating here. We're topping, grind, and quickly. These guys have gotten so much better over the, over the postseason, over the summer now, that if you play them, you got a chance at, at, at you know, well, we'll see. We'll we'll see, and that's a key, James. And, and and thanks for the call. That's that's a big key. But here's the thing. All right, you got you kind of got one more year on this. You got to get better this year. Last year, you took a step back. Two years ago, you were happy with your progress. You were out of the playoffs for seven years. You went to the playoffs, number four seed, lost in the first round. Okay, did you build on that last year? No. You need to build on that this year. Jalen Brunson is a good first step. R.J. Barrett is another good step. Julius Randle is a key. Derrick Rose is a key. And then we'll see who develops around them. The one good bright spot of the Mitchell trade... All those guys are still here. Top and quickly, Grimes. We'll see who could play.